Sections 53 and 54 of 100% The Story of a Patriot by Upton Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 53 They came down to the question of practical plans, and Peter was ready with suggestions. In the first place, Mr. Ackerman must give no hint either to the police authorities or to Guffey that he was dissatisfied with their efforts. He must simply provide for an interview with Peter now and then, and he and Peter, quite privately, must take certain steps to get Mr. Ackerman that protection which his importance to the community made necessary. The first thing was to find out whether or not there was a traitor in Mr. Ackerman's home, and for that purpose there must be a spy, a first-class detective working in some capacity or other. The only trouble was, there were so few detectives you could trust. They were nearly all scoundrels, and if they weren't scoundrels, it was because they didn't have sense enough to be. They were boobs, and any red could see through them in five minutes. "'But I tell you,' said Peter, "'what I've thought. I've got a wife that's a wonder, and just now, while we were talking about it, I thought, if I could only get Edith in here for a few days, I'd find out everything about all the people in your home, your relatives as well as your servants.' "'Is she a professional detective?' asked the banker. "'Why, no, sir,' said Peter. "'She was an actress. Her name was Edith Eustace. Perhaps you might have heard of her on the stage.' "'No, I'm too busy for the theatre, said Mr. Ackerman. "'Of course,' said Peter. "'Well, I don't know whether she'd be willing to do it. She don't like having me mix up with these reds, and she's been begging me to quit for a long time, and I just about promised her I would.' but if I tell her about your trouble, maybe she might, just as a favor. But how could Peter's wife be introduced into the Ackerman household without attracting suspicion? Peter raised this question, pointing out that his wife was a person of too high a social class to come as a servant. Mr. Ackerman added that he had nothing to do with engaging his servants, any more than with engaging the bookkeepers in his bank. It would look suspicious for him to make a suggestion to his housekeeper. But finally, he remarked, that he had a niece who sometimes came to visit him, and would come at once if requested, and would bring Edith Eustace as her maid. Peter was sure that Edith would be able to learn this part quickly. She had acted it many times on the stage. In fact, it had been her favorite role. Mr. Ackerman promised to get word to his niece, and have her meet Edith at the Hotel de Soto that same afternoon. Then the old banker pledged his word most solemnly that he would not whisper a hint about this matter except to his niece. Peter was most urgent and emphatic. He specified that the police were not to be told, that no member of the household was to be told, not even Mr. Ackerman's private secretary. After Mr. Ackerman had had this duly impressed upon him, he proceeded in turn to impress upon Peter the idea which he considered of most importance in the world. I don't want to be killed, Gudge. I tell you, I don't want to be killed. And Peter solemnly promised to make it his business to listen to all conversations of the Reds in so far as they might bear upon Mr. Ackerman. When he rose to take his departure, Mr. Ackerman slipped his trembling fingers into the pocket of his jacket and pulled out a crisp and shiny note. He unfolded it, and Peter saw that it was a $500 bill, fresh from the First National Bank of American City, of which Mr. Ackerman was chairman of the board of directors. "'Here's a little present for you, Gudge,' he said. "'I want you to understand that if you protect me from these villains, I'll see that you are well taken care of.' 
From now on, I want you to be my man. Yes, sir, said Peter. I'll be it, sir. I thank you very much, sir. And he thrust the bill into his pocket, and bowed himself step by step backwards toward the door. You're forgetting your hat, said the banker. Why, yes, said the trembling Peter, and he came forward again, and got his hat from under the chair, and bowed himself backward again. And remember, Gudge, said the old man, I don't want to be killed. I don't want them to get me. Section 54 Peter's first care when he got back into the city was to go to Mr. Ackerman's bank and change that $500 bill. The cashier gazed at him sternly, and scrutinized the bill carefully, but he gave Peter five $100 bills without comment. Peter tucked three of them away in a safe hiding place, and put the other two in his pocketbook, and went to keep his appointment with Nell. He told her all that had happened, and where she was to meet Mr. Ackerman's niece. "'What did he give you?' Nell demanded, at once, and when Peter produced the two bills, she exclaimed, "'My God! The old skinflint!' "'He said there'd be more,' remarked Peter. "'It didn't cost him anything to say that,' was Nell's answer. "'We'll have to put the screws on him.' Then she added, "'You'd better let me take care of this money for you, Peter.' "'Well,' said Peter, "'I have to have some for my own expenses, you know. "'You've got your salary, haven't you?' "'Yes, that's true, but—' "'I can keep it safe for you,' said Nell. "'And some day when you need it you'll be glad to have it. "'You've never saved anything yourself. "'That's a woman's job.' Peter tried to haggle with her, but it wasn't the same as haggling with McGivney. She looked at him with her melting glances, and it made Peter's head swim, and automatically he put out his hand and let her take the two bills. Then she smiled, so tenderly that he made bold to remind her, "'You know, Nell, you're my wife now.' "'Yes, yes,' she answered. "'Of course. But we've got to get rid of Ted Crothers somehow. He watches me all the time, and I have no end of trouble making excuses to get away.' "'How are you going to get rid of him?' asked Peter, hungrily. "'We'll have to skip,' she answered, "'just as soon as we have pulled off our new frame-up.' "'Another one?' gasped Peter in dismay. And the girl laughed. "'You wait,' she said. "'I'm going to pull some real money out of Nels Ackerman this time. "'Then, when we've made our killing, we'll skip and be fixed for life. "'You wait, and don't talk love to me now, "'because my mind is all taken up with my plans, "'and I can't think about anything else.' So they parted, and Peter went to see McGivney in the American house. "'Stand up to him,' Nell had said. But it was not easy to do, for McGivney pulled and hauled him and turned him about, upside down and inside outwards, to know every single thing that had happened between him and Nell Sackerman. Lord, how these fellows did hang on to their sources of graft! Peter repeated and insisted that he really had played entirely fair, he hadn't told Nels Ackerman a thing, except just the truth as he had told it to Guffey and McGivney. He had said that the police were all right, and that Guffey's bureau was stepping right on the tail of the Reds all the time. "'And what does he want you to do?' demanded the rat-faced man. Peter answered, "'He just wanted to make sure that he was learning everything of importance, and he wanted me to promise him that he would get every scrap of information that I collected about the plot against him.' and of course I promised him that we'd bring it all to him. "'You going to see him any more?' demanded McGivney. "'He didn't say anything about that. Did he get your address?' "'No. I suppose if he wants me he'll let you know, the same as before.' 
All right, said McGivney. Did he give you any money? Yes, said Peter. He gave me two hundred dollars, and he said there was plenty more where that came from, so that we'd work hard to help him. He said he didn't want to get killed. He said that a couple of dozen times, I guess. He spent more time saying that than anything else. He's sick, and he's scared out of his wits. So at last McGivney condescended to thank Peter for his faithfulness, and went on to give him further orders. The Reds were raising an awful howl. Andrews, the lawyer, had succeeded in getting a court order to see the arrested men, and of course the prisoners had all declared that the case was a put-up job. Now the Reds were preparing to send out a circular to their fellow Reds all over the country, appealing for publicity and for funds to fight the frame-up. They were very secret about it, and McGivney wanted to know where they were getting their money. He wanted a copy of the circular they were printing, and to know where and when the circulars were to be mailed. Guffey had been to see the post-office authorities, and they were going to confiscate the circulars, and destroy them all, without letting the Reds know it. Peter rubbed his hands with glee. That was the real business. They were going after these criminals in the way Peter had been urging. The rat-faced man answered that it was nothing to what they were going to do in a few days. Let Peter keep on his job, and he would see. Now, when the public was wrought up over this dynamite conspiracy, was the time to get things done. End of sections 53 and 54